0: Thank you. How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote, I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra.
1: He always says,
0: tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is... Dave Clark. Just Dave Clark. Just Dave Clark. Just the two of us. so yeah we it's been it's been kind of a crazy few weeks in Sounders world, and yet this is maybe a little bit of a calm before the storm right now uh you have probably thought about and listened to lots of analysis of Champions League. We are gonna have plenty of look ahead to Champions League. I have an interview lined up with hercules gomez actually uh coming up uh that will have. Yeah, next week we're gonna to talk to Herc. Uh, we'll have all kinds of good surprises throughout. I'm gonna be in uh Mexico City, so I'll I'll probably do a podcast from there. We are, you know, we're gonna have lots of Champions League content. Uh but so we'll we'll get to that later. I think today what I wanted to focus on is two things. One of them is the GA Cup, which I think Dave, you're well positioned, particularly to talk about the GA Cup, that journey, this team, what it means. And also look ahead to the Sounds A game a little bit. We're going to have an interview with uh, someone from Quakes Epicenter later in the week as well. But uh, we'll, we'll get an over. We'll get a Sounders perspective on that one. So all that table setting out of the way, Dave. That GA Cup win. I feel like in 2019, I felt like there was a lot of hype and a lot of energy, and I guess the tournament was a little different, and maybe that's why. And and we kind of knew those players a little bit better. There were, I think, three guys that had already signed professional contracts on that team. This one, I I feel like snuck up on us a little bit, and yet in its own way is maybe even more impressive.
1: Yeah, the first, like, why it snuck up, there are basically two reasons. One is essentially almost everybody that covers uh, academy or developmental soccer lives on the East Coast, except for Travis Clark. Well, no, D.C. I think there might be one guy in in Texas right now, but everybody else is, they're East Coast guys. And um, with the academies basically being shut down, depending on what part of the country you are in for six to 18 months, out here it was 18 months, basically. uh, Nobody knew what was going on. At the same time, losing those connections because nobody was traveling at the academy level, uh, the Sounders got rid of their U-19s um, with the, the reorganization from USSDA to MLS Next. Um One of the benefits of the 19s program is a bunch of the 19s were kind of peripheral players for uh S2 and Tacoma Defiance because they were older. But what you see with like this TA Cup and part of what makes it so special is that, again, they basically took a year and a half off of Academy stuff. Like, competitive games they were still trying to train and all that kind of stuff but also these are guys that don't have any um experience really with uh defiance so that's why they another reason why they snuck up is because they're 15 16 14 in one case <laughs> years old and we only one of them uh, outside of wyatt nelson has made a uh, a defiance match day roster
0: so it's, so uh, it wasn't just that they're not professionals. It's that they aren't even like that. Cause I, I, if I remember correctly, even if they weren't all signed, like the Josh Atencios and uh, like, there's a lot of guys from that 2019 team that eventually ended up signing pro deals. Uh, Ray Serrano was another one. Like, I think Alfonso, we, we was, don't want to list them all. Cause it's 11 total dudes. Right. But like <laughs> Alfonso uh, Ocampo Chavez, Danny Leva and uh Azrael Gonzalez were already signed at that point, right? In 2019, but there was a whole bunch of guys that were on the verge of getting signed and had maybe even already made their Defiance/S2 slash debuts, right?
1: Yes, a gob of them had already appeared, um were clearly on the uh, the path to professionalism at that point. So like they were guys that that you know, the Tim Foss, uh, me and you uh, they've been written about a little bit. Right. Um, But that's not the case. Wyatt Nelson has one start and like 10 bench appearances. The only other one is Alex Hall. Um, He appeared on the bench once last year for defiance. And that's it. Yeah. And it's because it's a huge gap, you know, for all the defiance are so young, defiance are so young. Well, they're about 21 years old on average. And a U-17 team is 16 years old. On right. average. That's a huge gap there. And that's one of the the frustrations about no longer having that under-19 program is that gap between MLS Next and Next Pro is a big step. Now, the good news is, like, we saw in preseason, we saw several of, of these players um, – start to pop up in preseason and we're like oh cool we're gonna have to learn their names
0: we just didn't know we'd have to learn them this fast yeah guys like Michael Luande uh uh Stuart Hawkins um Alex Hall like you said uh the who's the midfielder the is it something Jeremiah uh Jack Ryan Jeremiah Jack Ryan Jeremiah yeah there you go Uh, Like these are all guys that that showed up in preseason for the for the Sounders, but weren't necessarily like featured parts like they weren't guy. They weren't necessarily no, no one was under the impression they were on the verge of signing MLS contracts.
1: Oh, no. And we would have even been surprised for defiance. Normally, it's like two years out. Like it's that second year that they make a a regular uh, preseason performance when you're like, oh, they're going to be a pro. Right, Because we see guys dabble at it once in a while, like filling out spots. Like you need, if you're going to run three different 11s, well, you need three left backs and one of them's injured. So you get the academy guy. And usually it's about that. Uh, Angel Martinez was another one that we, we've we seen a lot of. Um, but, you know, that's only like four or five of this group of uh, right. essentially 20 right. um, who we're, we're going to have to learn their names fast because, uh, you know, looking again, the Last time the Sounders were the only MLS team to win GA Cup, 11 guys went on to be professionals. Um, some of them have had really strong defiance careers. Uh, Josh Atencio and Danny Laver are probably the, the most outstanding players of that group. Um, in, in their MLS play, but Reed Baker um,
0: Whiting was another player on that team, right?
1: Uh, I think he was like deep bench, like he right. might have had one right. or two appearances because he was only like 14, right? right. Um, but he was playing up uh, quite a bit. I mean, that's why you're in an MLS deal. So now you're thinking, like, you look at this, and and what was special about this team is clearly the, de- the defense. Obviously, they love Wyatt Nelson.
0: Um, that's the goalkeeper, that one that's goalkeeper, the goalkeeper of the tournament.
1: One goalkeeper of the tournament already has uh, a professional appearance, even and though look, he's not
0: a pro. And looked pretty good in that. Then- appearance it was against yeah. dallas right that was the or north texas yeah the
1: north texas the first time we had to watch a shootout um he gave up a goal but there was no way that he could have stopped it it was just so perfectly placed um kind of felt bad that it, his his goals against average is going to be a one because he played well enough for a shutout he had one stop in uh penalties on in that performance um looked solid was a good player and you know that, the Sounders obviously know what to do with goalkeepers because we keep they keep carrying them out. They, plus, they they all need to be about six two and blonde. Um, if you yeah, you are Stefan Cleveland, you are Andrew Thomas, your are Wallace Lapsley, uh, and Wyatt Nelson. Uh, that they, they could pr- be like an eighties TV boy band. Um,
0: yeah, but I'll there tell are others.
1: the others. Yeah,
0: uh, just a real quick anecdote about Wyatt Nelson. I loved he. This is a He's 17, right? He's 17, I think. He's like one of the older players on the team, if I remember correctly. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's even younger than that. Sixteen. He's sixteen. All right. He's sixteen. And even better. Even better for this narrative. And he's just like he exudes this energy of of confidence and uh I suppose I, I assume positivity, but just very confident. Like he, you know, he was he was the guy that was holding the, I think it was the the trophy or there was some sort of box that they got after they won. He was holding it up to his head and he was acting like it was a phone. And then he got caught on tape saying something like we're coming for CONCACAF next. And I just, I love this stuff. I think it's great. Uh, I asked a couple of the coaches about him. They all seem pretty high on him. They feel like this is, you know, he's a real deal sort of uh, prospect. Like uh, they're very excited about his, his, his uh, projectability.
1: Yeah. And to have that kind of success so young as a goalkeeper, like you're like, oh, he's already that good because we know goal- goalkeepers are late. So, yeah, it, it's that was rather impressive. The two center backs in front of him are, are guys that I definitely want to focus on because we've seen uh, Stuart Hawkins in the past. Um, he's a Fox Island guy. He's a U.S. youth national team player. He was the player of the tournament. And you don't often get that from a center back. When you got the best center back and the best goalkeeper, that kind of makes sense. The other one was Angel Martinez, who um, you and I both watched in preseason a few times. Looks really special. Great at like reading passing lanes and all of that. Might be undersized. I think my future for Martinez is probably that he's a right back um, just for size. But then again, we're talking about 15 or 16-year-olds. So we got four years before the size actually matters um as a guy who has covered teenagers playing soccer for several years now um you could josh attention i was just we're, today we're just, i was
0: yeah I, I was watching the sounders train today and i w- was just sort of remarking at how big Reed is now like he's he's pushing six feet uh filled out looks like a you know looks like a man and this was someone who in 2019 which you know, three years ago for a teenager is a huge amount of time, but he was like a little, he was like a little boy, you know, he was like a, he was a child. And, um, and he's just, he's probably grown a foot maybe, I don't know, maybe not a foot, but he's, grown, he's probably grown six to eight inches since then. He's probably put on, you know, 50 or 60 pounds. That's the kind of, I, I, and I say this just to sort of like give context for what, kind of growth these players have just from a purely physical physiological perspective uh, but one of the things that struck me about uh, Hawkins who I think is probably the closest to signing a pro deal at this point uh, just because and he, he was the one who won MVP center like you, you mentioned he's a center back but one of the things that I really liked about him is that a lot of the times center backs at this level are sort of man among boys. Like they just, they look bigger. They, they are able to kind of boss other uh, forwards. They're not necessarily technical, but the thing that I liked about Stuart, at least when I've seen him is that he, he's tall, but he's, he's really skinny, but he's, his tech, the technical parts of his game seem very advanced for a, for a 15 a year old.
1: Yeah. That's the other thing is like, He's still very young. Like he's Um, young for even this academy. He's young for a U-17 team. Um, So he's going to be special and there's going to be a fun little opportunity. Maybe it happens when Defiance are down in Tacoma for those, those back-to-back games when they're going to be down there at the end of May. But it's possible that Wade Weber could start to essentially Tacoma guys uh, at center back with uh, Eric Kinsner, who's out Brown's point. And then Stuart Hawkins from Fox Island. Um, That would be pretty cool. And so I'm hoping that for that narrative, still love that town. Um, And that would be a fun little moment. And they both look like they've earned it. Uh, It'd be, it's going to be interesting. You know, we've seen so many defensive midfielders come up uh, successfully, and then so many wingers do well um, outside of the organization. It'll be interesting to see this path, the Kinsner, Hawkins, Martinez getting some center backs to, to start percolating up Um, not just guys that go off to college, but just go straight into the professional ranks.
0: Yeah. And along those same lines, one of the things that I found particularly encouraging about this run from the Sounders is that, you know, like, like I alluded to that, 2019 team had a bunch of pros that in some ways it felt like, like, I don't know if the Sounders were really thinking of it this way, but it did feel a little bit like they were maybe stacking the roster with the effort of saying like, well, they don't play all their games with the Academy, but for this tournament, because it's a big deal, we're going to send all these kids uh, who are by all, you know, for all intents and purposes are professionals. And we're going to put them on one team and sort of make a little bit of an all-star team of our organization. This year was explicitly, almost explicitly not that. I mean, by far the best player in this age group is Obed Vargas. He didn't even sniff this roster. He was with the, he he was too busy. He's uh, too important. He was too important getting first team minutes uh, playing in champions league. So he didn't even sniff the roster, but uh, you know, Reed ass- started off uh, the tournament with them, but he got brought back not because he was so needed for the first team because they thought he was useful for the, for the defiance. Uh, you know, he, I think he, st- he did start for the defiance of uh, the weekend. Yeah, he, and we all assumed that, Oh, well, he must be coming back to play for the Sounders. It's like, no, he's coming back to play for defiance. And so those last three games were no professionals on that team. They were all uh like obviously age eligible, but it was like, like we've been saying they were even a young for that tournament. I don't know. I don't have the, everyone's roster in front of me, but I would imagine they were one of the younger teams at that time, that tournament in the U 17 bracket.
1: Yeah. They they were pretty young based off of uh, what David gas and Bobby Warshaw and Bobby Warshaw were saying Uh Sounders trended it- trended young in the tournament and you know to further their um kind of self-handicapping where they took their two most talented u17 players and one of them only played half the tournament and the other one had to like play against puma or not puma's uh who was the last team we beat uh new york city fc right um you know he was too important for that so he didn't go to a, an academy tournament um you know, they handicapped that way, but they were also handicapped in that their best two attacking players were so, both so recently back from injury that one would start right. and the other would close. They'd always be a halftime sub because each of them only had 30 minutes in their legs. So the re- and
0: so that was Luande and Chris Aquino, right?
1: Yeah. So the reason why Chris Aquino, who led the team with four goals, only had four goals is because he played only half the tournament. Um, <laughs> would he have? finish with seven like the uh the winner of the uh golden boot possibly if but they didn't need him to play the whole tournament because they had Luande and Villard, uh the other attackers. So um it's it the long term here a couple of these guys could be in next year's uh even if they do go pro. Uh you know inshallah there will be a, a GA Cup every year again as there was in the before times. Um, It's just weird, like, because they're so young, half the roster could be back. And, you know, normally these back-to-back, was it uh, River Plate with their three. um, um, It's because you get a, a young group and then you can cycle them in and you can sprinkle in guys, like a third of your roster will be guys that are playing up. And so they get that experience uh but one again one of the impressive things about this U17 team they have no relationship whatsoever to the U-19s that won the GA Cup 3 years ago right they were 12
0: right yeah it's a, it's 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 amazing and it's a lot of local kids it's not it's not as many uh homestay type of situations if i if i'm uh, i think i i heard, overheard that i don't it the
1: the homestay situation for during covid uh was dramatically reduced
0: which it was totally makes Obed, sense. right <laughs> it, it
1: it i don't i don't have the exact numbers but it was um a lot just cut out you know for very for right. hosting reasons for there wasn't an academy season for a year um there, you know you're a parent like can you imagine like okay there's no. this global pandemic and my kid is my 15 year old kid is going to be staying a thousand miles away. I'd be less, less interested. In
0: that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh, it was really interesting to see, you know, a team um, much more Puget sound centric uh, than Academy teams have been in the Garth Lagerway era. Um, a team so young, a team that basically bubbled up out of nowhere um, win a title. And just show that you know from Stefan Fry, I think he's the oldest one on the first team roster, yeah. right on down, there is this uh demand um internally amongst these players for trophies yeah. for wins um, and one of my one of my favorite moments uh on social was Azriel Gonzalez giving them a shout out like it makes sense, Danny Leva.
0: Right. Um, He's not even with the organization anymore.
1: Yeah. AZ's up in Edmonton. But he made certain to pay attention to these guys that are continuing his success. Um, And, you know, I I think that that just says a lot for an organization. Uh, Most teams only get 20% or so to go pro out of an academy. Um, And what you build is those people, not just players, but the people says a lot and you know because they're going to be in the stands with us eventually much more of the academy players are going to be dedicated to watching the Sounders than playing for them and and we kind
0: of we saw some glimpses of that too where the u15s who got eliminated a little earlier in the tournament were out rooting and hooting and hollering and and doing all the like on the sidelines really you know mm -hmm. like supporting their their teammates and i don't know maybe that's Maybe that's a given. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I, I like to see it either way.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things that uh, it should be expected, but also it's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, one of the other things that, that struck me about this team is that a little bit unlike the 2019 squad who felt sometimes like they were survived, like they they had sort of like, they weren't necessarily playing uh, super progressive soccer all the time. What struck me about, at least from what I saw, and I only really got to see the parts of the Miami and, and Tigris games, the semis in the final was this team liked to play like they, they were, they were playing sounder soccer. You, you when you watched them play, you could see a lot of familiar themes with the first game. The, the way that they were pressing the way that they were pinging the ball around It wasn't just, you know, hunker down and defend and then try to hit them on the counter.
1: No, and that's really something that they're pushing next pro and down, um, particularly because uh, I think Wade Weber said it on the the Tacoma defiance call. um, The players are going to earn their their time in the in the brave green shirt based off of effort and putting in defense. There's not going to be a Lionel Messi that comes up from the academy and unseats Nico, Paulo, Jordan, Raul. Like that's why we don't see so many attackers is because the Sounders spend 80% of their roster money on attacking players. So to make that, to earn those professional deals and those first team contracts, you have to put in the effort. And that's part of why um, defiance and the Academy are so into the higher pressure, uh, the high press, the upward defense and forward defense that, the sounders don't use quite as much because uh, you don't want Raul to put in that energy. You want them to get two touches in the box because they'll score. So they put in a a different amount of feisty pressure, but it works. And it's been, you know, it works when defiance do it. It's been working for the Academy. And you can see those trend lines where um, the guys that are, that are earning their opportunity are the ones that have that, schmetzer weber cook uh knapp uh those coaches that that through line um it's all about defense first grind effort no quit uh we hear it all the time from brian um but it's a it is an ethos that has come and the patterns of passing and all that come as well whether they're in their four-two-three-one or uh they still dip into those uh, three back sets once in a while. Um but it's interesting to see like you watch them, they're like, okay, they're in the purple and they look they're just smaller.
0: Yeah, that's incredible, you know, like yeah. One of the things that I have I have loved about this or I found interesting about this whole like effort and grit sort of thing is is you know, 10, 15 years ago for sure that was sort of derided as a like oh it's just the american spirit you got to you know all these industrious players uh but it what's funny is that the rise of analytics has sort of reinforced the importance of ground coverage and being willingness to go into tackles and sort of like this you're now able to quantify some of these like gritty kind of elements and it turns out those are really important elements to being good at soccer. And when you combine them, combine that with the technical aspects, when you combine that with, you know, good passing and uh, you know, some skill, you get a Nico Ladero and it's, and it's very, the Sounders to their credit, I think identified this as, as something that you can build around. And in fact, you can have a lot of success building around it. Like just because you're a creative player, doesn't mean, you shouldn't cover ground. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go into tackles. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, you, you, it's like, and you can still go down when you get fouled, you can still go down. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: been the, you know, they have so many of those too. that ground coverage. I think it was Siggy that said this, oh, way back, I think 2014, about trying to win the ball up the pitch. Yeah. Because if it takes you three passes to score, but you're only doing it from four, those three passes start at 40 yards out it's a lot more likely to happen than if you're trying to pass it 80 yards right in just three times. So, you know, it's a, uh, the, that pressure is great. And I think it's, it's interesting. I love Obed Vargas, Josh Atencio, um, kind of taking that Jao Paulo and Nico Ladero, uh, Jack Alex Hall and Jack Ryan, Jeremiah, um, in central midfield for, um, the U 17s, um, so to and now Marlon Vargas who used to be a pure attacker has become this rangy defensive player and Reed Baker Whiting, who we still have no idea what position he's going to play. Um, yeah. At one point looked like a six, but now he's like a defensive winger right. um, with defiance and looking extraordinary at it. So what the, like, okay, you pull off Jordan Morris, Um, when you've got the goal lead and now you have a re-baker whiting that could be out there pestering that back line uh, of the opposing team and it's it's bubbling up um you know it's not one great player every three years and one replacement level player every year and then sometimes somebody in between there um what it's like 11 academy or defiance guys on the first team roster. Um, and if history is a trend, somewhere between eight and 15 of the guys that just win the title are going to wind up on pro deals somewhere.
0: Yeah. Uh, while we're here, anything you want to share about defiance so far this year? Uh, they are not, the record has sort of, isn't spectacular with their one, two, and one. Is that right? One,
1: two, and one plus two. Right their, their that, win was dominant
0: right. they had that great opener, and then they've they've looked reasonably good, I, I suppose, in the attack, but they they have had some breakdowns and and I don't know you you what, what have you what have been your takeaways from the defiance early on this year
1: uh I think they they've looked their best when they their front three are basically uh, fringe MLS guys that's Reed Fawns and uh, Sam Diran uh cuz they're all aggressive defensively now and they're all capable of uh scoring um their metrics fons finally doesn't have a scoring streak he only had 4 goals in 4 games and he didn't score in the last one but uh he is reinvigorated and um looks like an mls prospect again that's great to hear something <laughs> that hasn't been true since ga cup
0: 2019
1: right um, but You know, he's also 20. So it's not, you know, we just mentioned Ezreal Gonzalez. Everybody had given up on him having a decent pro career. He's in year six as a pro now because he's only 21. Marlon Vargas is year um, five as a pro. He's only 20. Um, One of the things that happens when you sign these guys so young is you get to see they're up and they're down. And I think some of what we're seeing right now with defiance is in defense, we're seeing a a couple downswings at the same time, Um, whether it's defensive mid getting Ovale, Kitahara, Marlin on the same page um, and figuring out how that um, the center back pairing, which is mostly uh, Eric Kinsner and uh, Hal Uteritz, figuring out how they're going to work. I think that is one of my Iffy things and I got questions about Andrew Thomas, who you and I last year, uh, I don't think we did it on the podcast, but we were constantly talking about how he looks like the second coming of a starting. Like we thought if they lost Stephen Cleveland, Andrew Thomas, when healthy, could just step in and be a backup keeper at the MLS level based off of his seven games right. with defiance. And uh, I think uh, I think we're seeing some sample size. Um,
0: coming well- back. I also wonder if we saw a lot of, a lot of rust build up. He was hurt for a long time. Like he, he hadn't played for basically a year. Right. I think it was mid August. Okay. He
1: he started like seven of nine games and then, um, yeah,
0: probably August. So eight months he was off. He didn't, he didn't play for eight months and didn't train for most of that. Right. And he, and it was a, a variety of injuries, uh, but you know, so and the, and I think this is this is actually he's a great example of why this team is so important because you can have it's one thing for Steph Fry to miss a bunch of time and and sort of come back and hit the ground running. It's a whole other thing when you're talking about a 23 year old goalkeeper who hasn't played for eight months. Like he's going to need some time to to get back in. And I mean, it's 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 good the Sounders ended up keeping Steph Cleveland because uh, it looks like he's he's going to get some. You know, I'm sure he'll get some minutes this year, especially in, in the U.S. Open Cup, uh, which, by the way, the draws tomorrow, in case anyone doesn't know, the U.S. Open Cup draws tomorrow. The Sounders are part of that draw, and we don't really know what grouping they'll be in yet, do we?
1: We only know that they won't be in the grouping with Portland, which essentially means right. that we're going to have either two West Coast groupings or we might have that head to Tampa situation.
0: Right. To avoid oh. it. So because so, like so San Jose, there are there any lower division? There must be some lower division teams that would like because they the way they do the groups is they they have at least one lower division team in each four team group, right? Isn't that right? Or I guess they can't uh,
1: I think that's their goal, but they they, they can't might not really... necessarily be able to do it because
0: right. of the uh the number of teams the qualifiers. Right. That, that, that I guess um, it all depends on that.
1: California United Strikers from NISA advanced. L.A., San Jose. So there were three. Seattle, Portland. So there's five on this coast, plus a whole GABA games tonight. Orange County, where or LAFC will advance. Fuego, Sacramento. Phoenix, New Mexico.
0: Um, okay, so... So it'll be much to watch tonight. I guess we could have uh, waited to talk about this, but uh, no, we'll the, ta- yeah. the, it's the going to be fun because it, we haven't yeah. had, we haven't had open cup for two years. Like this, the last time the Sounders played in the open cup was 2019, that game in Tacoma where they lost to the Timbers and, uh, and we haven't, we haven't seen them since then. They Sounders must be like on a three game open cup losing streak. Right. I
1: think so. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that Timbers loss. That was a that was a solid side that Schmetzer put out. Well, um, unlike to... the previous ones, but it was Victor yeah. Rodriguez missing a penalty that basically yes,
0: that's right. decided
1: that they wouldn't go through. Um, and that's not... Your first round of an Open Cup is not normally a... You don't see a Victor Rodriguez quality player on the field. Um, right. So... This year might be a little bit different because they're going to have seven or eight games in May, and one of them is a CCL final.
0: So <laughs> they yeah, might so have to dial
1: it back a little bit.
0: Their last win in the Open Cup came in 2017 when they beat, uh, they beat the Portland Timbers, which was a, a basically two reserve teams playing against each other. And mm. then, they, then they lost to the Earthquakes in the following round in 2017 so they yeah this is they've lost three straight i'm sure that's a record for at least you know it might be a record an all-time record even in the usl era but you'd have to go i haven't i haven't double checked that but it's definitely look uh, at
1: the 90s era yeah it's it's fun.
0: but the sounders in case people have forgotten the sounders are one of the most successful they're probably the most successful team of the mls era uh in in the open cup they are tied for the most open cup titles with four they've been to five finals uh even before that they they went to the semifinals in their last two years of uh the usl era that was on those brian schmetzer teams so there's a lot of history of open cup success in this organization uh brian seemed kind of excited about the prospects of getting to plan that again i i imagine you know a little bit of uh, absence made the heart grow fonder uh And it would be fun to – this is a team I feel like that's built for a longer Open Cup run, even though that would create a lot of fixture congestion. Uh, You counted it up. I think you said there was potentially eight games in May. Yeah, eight games in May. The
1: first being the CCL final on a midweek, five MLS games, and then one or two Open Cup games. Yeah. Um, What you probably see is – well, you'd see lineups similar to what started against Inter Miami or what
0: has started a couple of times for defiance. Yeah. Maybe even deeper um, than that. I mean, I, I almost like, is like with all that fixture congestion, you almost got to wonder are Freddie Montero and will Bruin even going to be available for those first two open cup games?
1: <laughs> well, one of them, one of them would be, I suppose. One of them will start. I'm pretty certain, but still, unless you get, unless the draw is California United strikers.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Hey, like,
1: there's a, there's a chance you get um, a team like that, or Northern Colorado, hailstorm or fuego um, over in uh, Fresno. Like one of those would give uh, Schmetzer a few opportunities to, to play down, but that's and the we're... same team. We thought that too, when they started a, a weaker lineup against Tampa Bay and Oba blew a yeah. penalty down there.
0: That's right. The 2000, that was the interruption in the in the reign of success that they had from 09 to to 2015 to 2014. Uh, yeah, and do are we expecting them to play games at at Starfire again? Uh, it, I'm gonna guess that first round has to be at
1: Starfire because of the Rainier schedule, but. <laughs> Um, the May 24, 25th, I'm looking up right now. If they advance, no. Rainiers are hosting Vegas that week. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like Caney would get to host in the first two rounds. Um, and then as we know, when quarterfinals, semifinals, uh, Lumen becomes an obvious place because, we can put numbers that uh, we being the fans will right. show up for, for those level of, uh, of games. So yeah, unless they go barnstorming, I, I expect we'll see uh, Starfire. Starfire.
0: Um, maybe, maybe Renton Memorial could get a, can get a game. I, I've, <laughs> I have watched a, a USL
1: might've been a league at the time match there. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they've had any improvements since I watched there in like, Oh two. Um it is a concrete staircase basically that you sit on.
0: Yeah. Um, hey, that old so style. Memorial.
1: No, it it's not. Um
0: I I would I love Renton, but um that's a... <laughs> not an open you don't think that's a good open cup uh uh venue, I'm gathering. You, you know what would we be a get great open the, cup venue? inter Seattle Bay. U. Seattle U No oh. Seattle U. That would be pretty glorious. There's only what? Well, there's only like 500 seats there, right? Thousand seats. I think they, like that. I think like a thousand. That would be pretty think glorious. Pete, Pete told me they can get like a thousand there. Oh my gosh! Um, I wonder if, if they would. Like, I, want, I wonder if the if the U.S. Soccer would allow the Sounders to host there. That would be great. I would love that. I would. That would be. That would be an event. Yeah, I think you know that would have to be like a. Team that nobody's heard of. But yeah, Cal United Strikers. Bring Cal United Strikers out to Seattle U, or Northern Colorado Hailstorm. Yeah, it's um, it's the best pitch in Seattle, according to Pete Viewing, who is is
1: justifiably biased in that. Yeah, That's, exactly. But it I mean, it, it would be fun to have that hyper urban um thing. I, I don't, I don't expect it. But no, probably not. It's going to be Starfire. Um, hopefully with the a, a full camera system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, not not the uh mess <laughs> that is the MLS Next Pro camera uh setup. Well oh, for you didn't watch it, but they, they were
1: the game of the week um on Sunday. Who? Uh Defiance. Uh, Defiance hosting Vancouver No, it. I missed it. And so they had which camera meant.
0: operators and everything.
1: Well, not on all of them, but they did have oh. close ups and they had oh. an analyst, they had replays um replays yes yeah, so, uh that was uh, the easter sunday game so yeah i did um, not
0: i definitely did not watch that one i i kind of followed it, it on my phone
1: if they were all at that level i would be very like i'd be like okay cool yeah the main camera being the automated thing makes sense and then
0: yeah, give
1: me some sure. close ups and and stuff uh, that 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 would have been great
0: yeah i uh not to get too far afield here but i i yeah. wrote about how my my opinion of the MLS Next Pro uh, presentation is lacking uh, severely. They it, it's it's a bit of a mess. Uh, I I I have to assume that the league is sort of writing this year off as uh, as you know sort of a... I, I think the I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but the league makes a lot of sense from a uh, developmental perspective. I think that you can make a a player development argument for it that is coherent and makes sense but when you lose me is when you start to say like no we're gonna market this as a viable fan focused product it's not it's it's not they haven't put the effort in to do it they they haven't uh put the resources into it it's a mess from a fan perspective i don't see how they they think they're gonna attract fans and markets that uh aren't just watching their own young players i you know, I, I suppose there's, I'm sure, a pathway to making that happen, but it's not there yet right now. I feel, uh, I, uh if I'm the Rochester, FC Rochester, or whatever they're called, I I am a little frustrated at the quality of product that I'm being asked to follow.
1: I, I do have to give a big shout-out to uh, St. Louis, though, because those fans are showing. They are, I mean, but I'd be frustrated 5, if I was them, too. Plus.
0: But even then... And- they're only, they're all, I, you know, what are they going to look like next year when they have an MLS? They're, those are all fans that are going to go to the MLS. Are they going to go to the next pro games? I doubt it. No.
1: Also, bring back awesome names.
0: Yeah. Bring back awesome names. Stop with the two stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, big fan of awesome. Rochester, you should be the Rhinos.
0: Yeah. What are they doing? Billy,
1: you should be the Steel again. Yeah. What is this? This is crazy. Give me some Slow Park
0: back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the white earthquake caps. should
0: revive some of the old Bay Area soccer names. Be the Clash. There you go. There you go. White... easy win. Easy win. Bring back the Clash uniforms. It's a marketing dream. Although Nike probably owns all those marks. I'm guessing, but you probably have to reinvent it. But yeah, um, maybe in you know in
1: year two when um, they've have they had more them? than six months to uh, plan the league. Maybe we'll see see more of that. I have a feeling a clash. lot of these teams got thrown together at the very last minute.
0: Um, yes, yeah. So,
1: you the know. league feels uh, that
0: way in general, I would say. You know, Toronto was
1: signing, was having players signing. They were at like three people on their roster the week prior to the game. So, uh, TFC2, um, which has two former sounders on it, Paul Rothrock and Alec Diaz now. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a league that's... Uh, well, it's on its path to professionals.
0: There you go. Well, <laughs> we didn't get to talk much about the Sounds A game coming up, but we—I promise—we will talk about that soon. I'm actually going to be talking to, so like I said, uh, Jamin Moore from uh, from Quakes Epicenter. So you'll get a whole preview of that game. Uh, I hope you will forgive us, but I—I'm I, glad we got to talk GA Cup. I think. Yeah, I think it's an important step. Yeah, it um, is for the team. And it's worth celebrating. It's, you know, it's, it's worth, this is a, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, I think as, as the Sounders start to feel like a club as they are a club, I think one of the things I was sort of reminded of today, talking to Jackson Reagan and how, you know, he his one of his earliest soccer memories is trying to get tickets to go see the 2009 opener with his dad when he was just 10 years old and it reminded me that they have there's this whole generation now of Seattle soccer players who literally did not exist in a world where there was no Sounders playing competitive soccer like you know the the you know he's a 99 i believe and yeah. uh, and so the Sounders were already 3 or 4 years old at that point like yeah. the the reborn sounders this is a great line, actually, because we face San Jose and there's that weird cup
1: that nobody cares about the actual cup.
0: the her- Yes. The but Heritage the
1: meaning Club. behind the Heritage Cup is great because it means that, you know, these connections, these multi generation families that are playing soccer in the area, um, that we have uh, coaches at both the first team and the second team who played for the Sounders in different eras. Yeah. Um, those connections are so strong here. Um, you know, one of the things we forget is that. Portland basically was dark for an entire decade. They didn't have any professionalism. And so they've got that gap um, for the from the mid eighties to the 2001, if my memory says. What the Sounders have going right now, where they didn't have a gap for Defiance, Defiance have played 2015 to the present. Um, only COVID stopped uh, the Academy's gap, uh, both Vancouver, and Portland killed off their twos for a couple of years. So these connections and that strength of Jackson Reagans, Josh Atencio and Danny Leva playing for the first team now, having won a GA cup in 2019, these kinds of through lines um, strengthen that future so much. And I know it's good that we're playing San Jose this weekend with, with all of that in mind,
0: Yeah, because it is. we're going
1: to, we're going to capture these teams that have this energy that goes back to 74 um for both of them so it's it should be fun and uh it'll be even more fun because nobody has any idea how san jose will play
0: right uh san jose has just fired their coach they have their uh mls next pro coach is now the coach of the alex cabello is is now the coach of the first team it's a it's a very unknown situation that the centers are going into uh, at paypal park but it is it's it's kind of magical i i've said this before but it i really do think what what we have here in terms of the sounders community is is sort of, is very special especially in american soccer you know you have legitimate it's not just your big brother it's your dad you know grew up uh attending sounders games in in a lot of cases it's your grandfather even if you want to get you know back to the nasl days not a lot of markets have that And it's a legitimate, you know, through line that, that runs here and it's pretty exciting. And I love seeing, uh, you know, I, I love, I love that Jackson Reagan isn't a classic academy product. You know, he went to college for four years, he got drafted by another team and he came back and now it looks like, you know, he's going to be contending for starting minutes. I think that's a great story. I think it's a great story to be able to tell alongside the Obed Vargas's and the Josh Atencio's and the Danny Lay was the, the players, you know represent various different parts of the developmental system, you know, from, you know, coming up through the, you know, like Josh Attencio came all the way through the Academy, I believe, but, you know, Danny Leva and, and Obed were homestays and uh, joined at young ages, but we're getting, getting uh, far afield. We don't need to keep you here much longer. Dave, thank you uh, for doing this. I love being able to talk Academy stuff. This was a good excuse to do it. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan. We will catch you next time.